Thanks for listening and welcome to the CoachMaze.com podcast, where high school basketball coaches can turn to find that one takeaway to add to their already successful programs. Like you, I'm a high school coach, so let me know on Twitter at Coach J. Mays what your takeaway from today's talk was. Coaches, thank you for tuning in to the CoachMaze.com podcast, where our goal is to give you that one coaching takeaway that will make your program better tomorrow than it was today. Our guest today is Troy Lee Thomas, the head boys basketball coach at Bergen High School in Bergen, Kentucky, which is right outside uh, Harrodsburg, Kentucky, in uh, central Kentucky. Um, Troy Lee has a wealth of basketball knowledge, a wealth of basketball experiences, and what you're going to hear in this longer-than-usual podcast is a lot of great stories. And I think as coaches, we, we, we can't ever get to the point where we don't appreciate those who have come before us. And in order to do that, we've got to value the stories about coaches and the great teams that have come before us. And man, you're going to really enjoy this. I know I loved it. Um, so without further ado, Troy Lee Thomas. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of the CoachMaze.com podcast. Be sure to check out our other coaching-focused podcasts, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, Players Court, and Bleachers and Boards. We're also building our stable of NBA pods on the Hoopheads podcast network, including Cavalier Central, Grizz and Grind, Nuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Blazing the Path, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, and X's and O's NBA Breakdown. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoop Heads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Coaches, thanks for joining us again on the CoachMaze.com podcast. Um, the goal, as always, is to give you that one takeaway that will make your basketball program better tomorrow than it was today. One of my very, very, very good friends in coaching is Troy Lee Thomas, and he is our guest today. Troy Lee uh, is one of the nicest men I know. He is one of the most basketball-loving, basketball-crazed coaches that I know. He has been an ambassador for high school basketball in the state of Kentucky for many years. He's been an ambassador specifically for Eastern Kentucky basketball for many years. He's coached a little bit at the college level. He played college basketball both in Kentucky. And when you think of high school basketball in Kentucky, when you think of basketball in general in Kentucky, Troy Lee Thomas is a name that everybody says, I know Troy Lee. <laughs> so, <laughs> Troy Lee's our guest today, and um, Troy Lee, welcome to the CoachMaze.com podcast, brother. Oh, Coach, man, listen, I'm I'm so excited to be here this morning. Actually, you'll laugh. I, last night, I made sure I set two alarm clocks just to make sure that I could uh, wake up early this morning and join your podcast. This is the first time I've ever done anything like this, and when you ask me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just so humbled and so grateful, and just meek and everything about you thinking of me. It really means well, a lot. Hey, I tell you what, buddy, me and you, we, we, we talk on the phone. It's never a two minute conversation, is it? No, it's not. I tell you what, 
Uh, we we act like two politicians where we can just talk all day, Coach. <laughs> well, you know, when, I, when I'm in the car, I know I got a drive in front of me, and I got something weighing on my mind basketball-wise. You're one of my first calls. I'm like, you know what? He's he's going to have an opinion on this, or he's going to have been to a clinic, or he's going to have been to a, a practice somewhere, and he's going to – He's gonna uh, have you know he's gonna have some experience with this topic, so I call you all the time, and um, you know yeah. we may end up working together one day. I, I know I've talked to you in past years. Um, I really respect you, so I'm just I'm glad you're a guest. Um, all right, so Troy Lee, just briefly, just tell us about where you grew up. You know, assume that people listening uh, don't know much about Eastern Kentucky. So uh, where'd you grow up, and tell us about your upbringing. Well, Coach, thank you again for uh, inviting me to the show. It means a lot. Uh, I, you know, I was I was born and raised in a, a little small town called uh, Blackie, Kentucky, which is located in eastern Kentucky, uh, Letcher County. Uh, we're basically, you know, Letcher County is on the Virginia borderline and Tennessee borderline, so it's like you can throw a rock and almost hit Virginia and Tennessee where I was born and raised, but uh, uh, Blackie, I tell all time people uh, that don't know much about Blackie, what I do is I tell them two things about black in Kentucky. Number one, when Dolly Parton first became a country singer, one of her hit songs was called uh, uh, I Was Born in Black in Kentucky. And the other one, yeah, yeah, and a lot of people don't know that. So, see, you can go to YouTube and type up uh, Dolly Parton, Black in Kentucky, and the song right there says about her being born and raised in Black in Kentucky. A lot of people don't know that. And uh, And then the second thing, about Blackie, Kentucky, was the big hit movie Coal Miner's Daughter uh, with Tommy Lee Jones and Sissy Spacek. Uh, uh, the movie was uh, shot there. Of course, they used our house as a uh, as a dressing room because downstairs used to be our pool hall. We used to have a pool hall downstairs. We had four pool tables and three pinball machines and ice hockey machine and all that good stuff. And so uh, when they used the movie or made the movie Coal Miner's Daughter, they would use our downstairs I mean, Sissy Space and Tom Lee Jones, they'd be in their bathroom. And, and, and I used to tell people, and this is a true story, after they get done acting, Mom would go and uh, she'd fix a big dinner for Tommy Lee Jones and Sissy Spacey. And they would come upstairs and they'd eat. I mean, I remember when I was a little kid at nine years old. I mean, Mom had soup beans and cornbread. One day she'd have green beans and uh, fried cabbage. And, and, and Mom, she would cut Sissy Spacey's hair sometimes in the bathroom. And my dad... And my dad would take Tommy Lee Jones, and uh, there used to be a, a liquor store called Blue Goose. It's called the Blue Goose in Cornersville, Kentucky. And so after they get done, dad would take Tommy Lee Jones in his truck. They'd go down to Cornersville, Kentucky, and they'd get a case of beer and bring it back to the house. And him and dad would sit on the back porch and drink beer all night long. <laughs> I mean, you can't make that up, man. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, Coach, you, you can't make it up. And, and, it, and I mean, and it, I mean, it was like, and, and I remember when they got finished, uh, Sissy Spacing hugged mom and, and she said, uh, she said, now, honey, when we get done, I'm going to make sure I'm bringing my husband. We're going to come back and see you. Of course, they, of course, she never did come back, but mom and Sissy Spacing had a really close tie. I mean, uh, you know, they stayed there about two weeks and, uh, and, and she would even take naps on mom's couch and, uh, mom would put a cover over top of her and let her sleep. And after that, she'd sleep for about an hour. She'd have to go act some more. But, I mean, it was like every time they got done acting, Sissy Space and Tom Lee Jones would come to my mom and dad's house, and mom had to suffer for them every single <laughs> night. that crazy coach? 
Well, speaking of your mother, um, it, 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 coaches, if you don't follow Troy Lee on Facebook, you've got to for no other reason than about once a week when <laughs> Troy Lee goes and visits his mother, who I think is still living in. Uh, is she in a nursing home in Letcher County? Is that well, accurate, Troy Lee? No, actually, she's at her she's at her original home right now in Letcher okay, County. Yeah. Okay, but um, on his Facebook page, uh, about once a week, when Troy Lee goes and, and, and visits his mother. Um, the, the, the videos make my week. Matter of fact, my wife is a fan. You need to create, we got to do something to promote these videos because they're the best things I watch every week. My wife is a fan of the video. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about your mom, Troy Lee, and, 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 and her, her uh, personality. Well, I appreciate it, coach. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. You said that. Uh, yeah, my mom, of course, my mother's 87 years old. She was, Born and raised in a uh, uh, actually a holler called Line Fork, Kentucky, and you know, mom had uh, six. Uh, she had six sister, uh, six sisters, and three brothers, and they've all passed away now, except Aunt Goose, who lives in Tennessee. She's ninety four, and Aunt Arb, who lives in Jackson, who's um, uh, eighty four. But anyway, uh, my mom, uh, when she was you know growing up, she was like the next to the youngest of all the kids. So uh, my mother would always tell me about stories growing up, like she'd have to walk five or six miles every day just to go to school. I mean, they wouldn't know buses or stuff back in those days. And and mom would say sometimes that Papa Camel would take take some of the kids on a horse, take them to school every morning, and 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 pick them up. But um, you know, of course, mom had a had a hard life. You know, they didn't have no money or anything. And and uh, believe it or not, my Papa Papa Camel, one of the things he did uh, to to, to provide for the family besides uh, working in a coal mine is that my, my papa Campbell made moonshine yeah. and, and he sold moonshine and it was a big thing because, you know, back in those days there wasn't much of a law or anything about not selling moonshine. And so, you know, he was a big, he was, he was known as one of the big moonshine people in Eastern Kentucky. Uh, my mom would tell me people from Hazard and Jackson would, would go all the way from Letcher County Lineport just to buy papa Campbell's moonshine. And, uh, and a lot, of course, a lot of people didn't know that, but my mom, she wound up going to college and she went to Lee's junior college and got a two year degree. And then after that, she went to Pikeville and got, a, and, and got her degree there in teaching. So <clears throat> my mom, after she got done from college, she got her first teaching job at 22 years old. And I remember her tell me that they would have old, one of those coal stoves where, you know, you'd have to put coal in a, in a, in a thing, you know, in the stove to keep it warm throughout the room. And uh, but my mom, she taught for 42 years and then she retired. And then after she retired, coach, she went back and went another 19 years as a teacher's aide. So she went all together 61 years in education, buddy. I tell you what, my mom and see, she had me. I had her for two years. I was second, and third grade. And let me tell you something, coach. I get my hind end worn out every single day. <laughs> she wore me out, buddy. And then I'd get it when I got home from dad. And I mean, I couldn't sit straight every time I go home. <laughs> so these videos you post of her now, uh, Troy Lee, t- tell, tell coaches listening, sir, what's, what's the common thread of these videos about coach Cal? Well, what, here the food too, Troy Lee, the food. Oh yeah. So, Here's the big thing. So if, if you don't follow me, just go to my Facebook and follow me. Uh, I mean, everybody, I'm talking about everybody across the states. I mean, all over. I get people from Tennessee and Ohio and stuff that just loves my mom's videos. Well, what, what happened was, you know, my mom's got dementia and stuff, but she still, you know, knows things and stuff. But 
She's always been a Coach Calipari fan. Well, uh, Coach Cal's secretary follows me on Facebook. Well, you know, I started video mom because, you know, as you know, as you get older, you want to have memories and things like that. And, and you want to be able to, you know, recollect those memories and stuff as she gets older and stuff. So, you know, I just like, well, maybe I might start just video and putting on Facebook. Well, I don't know if you all recall, but about a year or so ago when Coach Cal Perry got kicked out of LSU, uh, my mom didn't like it. I mean, buddy, she was fit to be tied. And, of course, <laughs> my mom, she cussed like a freight train anyway. I mean, she does. So I'll never forget after Coach Calipari got kicked out, I put it on video. Well, buddy, mom went off. I mean, I can't tell you what she says on podcast, but now she said it right on Facebook. Well, make a long story short, Coach, Linda, uh, uh, Linda Carmack, who is uh, Coach Calipari's assistant uh, or secretary, she saw it on Facebook. Well, what did she do? She went and showed Coach Cal. Well, Coach Cal absolutely rolled over in his seat when he saw my mom absolutely go crazy about them referees kicking him out so next thing you know i get a phone call and coach cal uh, personally wants to meet my mom at the joe crash center but we haven't got to take her yet because of covid and so we're going to set something up here soon to where once covid hopefully good lord's will starts dwindling down we hope so then we're going to take mom to the joe crash center that's a great story man (laughs) yeah I mean, and, and Coach Cal just got the biggest kick ever was. So, I mean, and what's so funny, Mom can have a bad day, and as soon as I say the word Coach Cal, buddy, she perks up, son. Her eyes perks up and everything, and, and uh, buddy, she loves – now, she's a big Coach Cal Perry fan. And they – when she had a stroke, uh, Coach Cal – of course, we had her at the nursing home, and Coach Cal uh, sent her a personal picture of him, an autographed picture, 8 by 11, and it was an it was such a nice nice picture, and he wrote on there. He also mom he also gave mom a big note and a uh, and a book of uh, UK basketball players, a media guide, and we put it all in the frame. And buddy, she was on cloud nine and still thinks about this day. And so, but she's the biggest Coach Calipari fan they are in the state of Kentucky. Well, now let's transition, Troy Lee. You you play you went to college. You were a good high school player, and you went to uh, Moorhead State to play basketball. And you played for Dick Fick. And um, you know, there's your, one of your teammates was Donnie Tyndall, who um, as as uh, was a I you know I don't know if you remember this, Troy Lee. I followed Donnie at uh, St. Catherine College when he left yes. to go to LSU to be a um, I don't know I think that was still when they had the restricted earnings coaches, um, but. Uh, you know, Donnie went on to have a great career. At uh, he coached at LSU, he coached at Idaho, and he, he coached at um, I think Middle Tennessee State, and he coached at Moorhead, and then um, uh, was head coach at Tennessee, um, and is now uh, you know at, at Chipola Junior College. Coached a little bit in the G League, and and, um, and then you were also teammates with Kelly Wells, who won a few, uh, a few state championships in high school basketball at Mason County. Um, and uh, coached at Marion County, then Mason County, and then has been the head coach at U Pike and uh, is now the athletic director at U Pike. So, you know, there were a lot of um, a lot of good basketball players there at that time that played for Coach Fick. But a lot of people listen, probably if they don't remember Dick Fick, they, uh, um, they should because he was one of the most animated coaches uh, ever. And I remember he, he really became famous overnight when he was playing at Kentucky. And I think, were you on the team uh, during the game where he laid down on the floor 
protesting a, a call from a referee. Were you were you there then? I was, Coach. I, I was there. And you know what's so funny is that the Ashland Daily Independent, and, of course, that was back in 1992, I believe, or 93. And uh, I, the reason why I remember it is that the Ashland Daily Independent had a big picture of him and I stood up and, and, and pointed like pointed at him at the floor and started dying laughing. And I saw <laughs> that picture. And, 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 of course, you know, I didn't know what happened at first. And then everybody in the arena started dying laughing. So I looked over, and there was Coach Fick, and I stood up and pointed at him. And I remember <laughs> the Daily Independent taking a picture of me right there. It's so funny. <laughs> so so give, us, give us a story or two about playing for Coach Fick. You know what? He was, he was an – you know, I, he was from Illinois, Joliet, Illinois, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. and when later after he retired, when I was at Georgetown college, we would play, um, university of St. Francis, uh, which was up in Joliet, Illinois. Yes. And he was a volunteer assistant on that, on that staff. And so, um, it was always good for he and happy to reconnect because you know, the, my head coach at Georgetown, happy Osborne is a Moorhead graduate as well. So, um, but I would, I, I, knew, I got to know him later in life after his Moorhead days, but what was it like playing for him? I, what, what were some of the antics you would see on a daily basis? You know, and I'll be honest with you, coach. I love playing for coach pick. Uh, he was, he was really good to me. And I mean, he was, of course, and I'll be honest with you, he was a tough coach. I mean, he was, you know, the practices was hard and, and the running and things like that. But, you know, uh, you know, here I am 50 years old and you look back and you, you know what, you'd go through it all again, just experience those moments. But uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, playing for Coach Vick. And, and a lot of people don't know about Coach, but Coach was a great X and O guy. I mean, he really was. Uh, you know, and plus we had an assistant coach by the name of Bill Gleason who was best friends with Hubie Brown. Uh, mm-hmm. Coach Gleason was a, is a Hall of Famer in Chicago and had won state championships and things. Of course, he uh, as a high school coach, but he also became an assistant at uh, – at the University of New Orleans, you know, he played at DePaul and staying. So, but, you know, playing for coach, um, I, you know, I, I, I really, I really have uh, always been truly grateful for him to give me an opportunity to, to walk on. And, and, and let me tell you about walking on and this is no, no joke. So, you know, after high school, you know, I wanted to play college and to be honest with you, coach, you know, I never really got recruited by nobody. I, I didn't. I mean, um, you know, I was a really good high school player. Uh, my senior year, uh, I, uh, me and Keith Atkins, who was at Paintsville, who went to Notre yeah. Dame, mm-hmm. uh, he and I led the state of Kentucky in three pointers. The first year, the three point line came out. I had 135 threes. My, my, you my made 135? Made 135. Yeah, I made Holy smokes. I, I did. I did. I, what did was, you average per game? Yeah. I, you know what, though, Coach? I only averaged like, I want to say maybe like 22 points a game or so. That's all you shot there was threes. <laughs> threes. I mean, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't hit no layups. I was terrible hitting layups. I couldn't hit mid range, but I could shoot. I mean, I would have games, Coach, where I had a couple games. I had nine threes. I had one game against Knott County. I had 11 threes. Uh, There's a lot of games I'd have seven or eight. I mean, and I had a quick release. I was, I, you know, I could m- maneuver my body in the air and, and do some things a lot of people couldn't do. But, heck, Coach, that's all I did back at home. I mean, that yeah. was it. I mean, I had a basketball go by the railroad tracks, and I would play one or two o'clock in the morning, and I'd be so dirty with coal dust that my mom would have to would tell me that I had to strip strip naked on the front porch before I could come in because she didn't want me to dirty the house any. But that's all I did. But when I went to Moorhead, you know, I'll never forget, 
you know, I, I went to the office and, uh, and of course, Coach Vic was a big man. He was 6'5", you know, 250 pounds and things like that. And uh, I remember going to his office and introducing myself and say, hey, you know, I'd love to have a chance to walk on. And, and uh, you know, at first I don't at first they wasn't going to take any walk ons. And coach, you're going to laugh. But I, I was like that gnat or that fly. You know how it is when you like, like Rudy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what I did. I mean, I, I kept going back every day, every day. I said, coach, I, I, I want to play. I want to play. I want to play. Well, they decided to have a have a tryout. I'll never forget. So I'll never forget it. So we had to be there at six o'clock one morning, and there was like, I want to say, coach, there was like eighteen people that showed up because I remember they advertised it. So that morning we had a tryout, and I really didn't do very good. I didn't. I just, I, I just, I just did not do well, and I was so worried and concerned that I wasn't going to make it. So they said, well, we'll let everybody know who's going to come back. Well. They decided to call everybody back. So next time we had a tryout, it was a week later, Coach. It went down from 18 to like 12 people. And I noticed, well, you know, the numbers are small. Well, what happened was some of the guys just decided not to show up. Yeah. So we had there was 12 more people on there for it, and we had another tryout. And, and I did a lot better that day. I felt good about myself. It's like, man, you know, I think I got a chance, blah, blah. But now you can understand, Coach, I couldn't jump and touch the rim. I was slow. I couldn't dribble. The only thing I could do, Coach, was shoot. That's the only thing I could do was shoot a basketball. And I couldn't do anything else. I was very, I was not very athletic at all, but I just worked extremely hard. But uh, we had a second tryout, and Coach, I'll never forget, Merle Kidwell, who was a graduate assistant, he was yeah. on that, he was on that, uh, was on that staff. Lewis County boy. Lewis County boy. I'll never forget, after the tryout, they said, we're going to have another tryout, a final tryout. And we're going to have it on Saturday morning, I believe. I think that's when it was. And and I think one of the reasons why they did it is just to see who wanted to really be there. Because I think it was like at 6 or 7 a.m. Well, Coach, you, you're, you're going to laugh your honey and all. I get there. I get there about 15 or 20 minutes beforehand. Well, I noticed that there wasn't nobody around. So when 5 till 6 showed up, there was no guys there. And I was thinking, well, you know what? Did they cancel this thing or something? Am I the only one that didn't know that they canceled, you know, tryouts? Well, about six o'clock, here comes Coach Kidwell and Coach Farr walking down the steps. And they looked at me and they said, are you the only one here? I said, yes, sir. I'm the only one here. And they said, well, that's all we need to know. And and sure enough, they worked me out for a little bit. And I was the only guy to show up that morning. <laughs> and so, Coach, now here's the funny part. Is that when I, when they told Coach Fig that I was the only one, I, I wasn't automatically on the team. So I had to meet with Coach Fick afterward. And so Coach Fick, when I met with him, Coach Fick says, you know, uh, I can tell you're determined you want to be a part of our team, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he said, we'll get back in touch with you and let you know about what we're going to do. Well, you know what, Coach, you know what I wind up doing? I start showing up to practice every day. I'd show up to practice every day with a notebook and pencil. I wanted him to know I wanted to be a part of the team. I wanted to do everything I could to be a part of the team. So I missed Thanksgiving dinner with my family just to stay at Moorhead to watch them practice. Mm-hmm. And that's when Coach Fick uh, – that's when I won Coach Fick over because he knew I wanted to be a part of the team. So when I finally got to be a part of the team, I'll never forget. He brought me up. I was scared to death. And, Coach, when I went to college, I only had two pairs of shoes. 
I had a, a, a pair of red Nikes and I had a pair of sandals and that was it. And I remember when I showed up to practice the first day, he brought me in. He said, I'm just going to be honest with you. He said, you'll probably never play a minute here. He said, but one thing I need for you to be is to be the best practice player that you can be and to help our guys, you know, prepare for other teams. I said, coach, I'll do whatever it takes. So the guys that were the guys that didn't play a lot were on the gold team and the guys that did play a lot were on the blue team. So I tell everybody all the time, Coach Kelly Wells and them guys laughing, Coach Tindall, you know, I, I was a gold team All-American because I could shoot it every time. I didn't have to worry about Coach Fit getting to me. So, but anyway, uh, I, I had a great experience playing at Moorhead State. Uh, you know, I had great teammates. Coach, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know Brett Roberts. You know, he led the nation in scoring that year. He got drafted by the Sacramento Kings the second round. Forgot about that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we had a great – I remember we played Kentucky. We were down 85-81 with five minutes to go in the ballgame. You know, and that was at Freedom Hall. That was the first year we played them. And, uh, you know, uh, and we, we had some really good players. We had Mitch Sowards, who was a transfer from Kent State University. And we had Doug Bentz. You know, he was 6'9 from Marietta, Ohio, first team all OVC. So, I mean, you know, I, I, it is, you know, the relationships that you build, you know, and, you know, you, it just sticks with you forever. And, and to this day, you know, I still get to, con- you know, talk to them and see how they're doing and things. And, you know, we had a lot of guys on that team that became uh, became coaches. You know, you had Coach Tindall. Uh, you know, of course, he's one of the best coaches in the country. Coach Kelly Wells, same way. But, you know, had Mike Meninga. Mike Meninga, a lot of people don't know Mike Meninga is the associate head coach at the University of Oregon. He's one of my he's one of my college teammates at Moorhead. Wow. And, uh, and so, you know, we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of guys who became uh, college and high school coaches that played for Coach Fick, sure did. All right, so let's let's break down um, where you've coached chronologically, if you will, early years to, to current. Um, just so coaches know, Troy Lee is the head boys basketball coach at Bergen High School, as I said in my, my introduction. Um, but, Troy, let's back up. So you graduated from Moorhead, and just sort of quickly take us through all the different stops that you've, you've had in your coaching career. Yeah, I've I've had a I've had a lot of stops, and uh, you know, <laughs> uh, a lot of what I call roads less travel, and uh, you know, and but I tell you what, uh, I've loved every bit of, minute of it, and uh, and just always meet new people every day and things. I always told people after I get done, of course, I won't quit coaching. I love coaching, but I always said I'd be a great politician because of all the stops I've had and all the people I know. But uh, but I, I you know I was a after I finished playing. Uh, I became a, a like a GA, a graduate assistant at Moorhead for Coach Fick for two years, uh, and uh, and really enjoyed that process more than anything. You know, get to learn uh, you know basketball as a, as a as a coach instead of a player. Um, after I finished at Moorhead as a GA, then I became an assistant coach for Lake Kelly at Fleming County. And of course, everybody knows Coach Kelly. You know, he coached at Austin P twice. He was at Oral Roberts. He was at Loyola. He was at uh, Florida State with Hugh Durham, and uh, of course he was at uh, he was also at, at, at the University of Kentucky with Joe B when they went to the Final Four with Sam Bowie, and Melvin Turpin, Kenny Walker, and those guys. Um, had a lot of success there at Fleming County. After that, I was an assistant coach with Coach Don Daniel at Round County. We went actually went to the regional final that year and and got beat by Ashland on the last second shot when they had a guy named Mark Sergowski. I bet you know who that guy is. <laughs> they were one of my favorite players of all time, man. Yes, Mark Sergowski and Arliss Beach, boy, they were good. And uh, 
And then I was, uh, I became a assistant coach. I mean, a head coach there at Round County, uh, for three years. Uh, we went to two regional championships, won three districts and went to the state tournament, um, and really had a lot of great success, uh, in that short stint of time. And then afterward, coach, I wanted to get a taste of college again. I, you know, coach Wells had a position open at the University of Pikeville and I became his administrative assistant. And, uh, and, and I wanted to, to know Kelly's system also because, you know, Kelly, of course, is a Hall of Fame coach in Kentucky and, and uh, all-time leading uh, wins coach at the University of Pikeville. And a lot of, a lot of people probably know that you also won a national championship at the University of Pikeville as well as Mason County State Championship. So uh, I, I got to learn a whole lot from Kelly, uh, a whole lot of, of basketball that I didn't know at the time. And it was just a great move on my part to do that. And I wanted to learn as much as I can. But after I, after I got there, coach, you know what, man, I just love, I just love work, working with young kids, elementary kids, middle school kids. I mean, I work with first and second grade kids all the time here. I, I love, and, and, and I just missed that. And so I, I went back into the high school realm and I became a girls, a girls head coach at West Jesmond high school. Uh, of course the boys coach there was Damon Kelly. Him and Coach Kelly and I became very, very close friends. He's like one of my brothers. And, uh, uh, we, I was there for two years and then I, I went to Bath County High School, uh, in Owensville, Kentucky. And I, I was there for four years. We won a couple of all A regional, uh, championships there. Had, uh, Sarah Price, who played at Western, who started at Western. And, uh, then after that, Coach, um, I went to, uh, I went to Nelson County uh, there with a uh, uh, coach kid named Marley Walls. We went to region final there uh, and got beat by E-Town, who was number three in the state. They were 33-1. and one. I, I still think about it, Coach. We had a five-point lead with a minute and five to go. Oh, man. Hey, hoopheads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E and use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. Now I'm here, uh, uh, I'm here at Bergen, and uh, this is my second year at Bergen, and uh, just absolutely... Um, just absolutely love Bergen Independent, and uh, I, I love I just love this place here very much. Yeah, Charlie, you've coached boys and girls um, several times. You've been a girls coach more than one occasion, been a boys coach more than one occasion. Um, you know what? What are the stark differences? What are the main differences between coaching a boys high school team and a girls high school team? What's what what, what rings out? Because I mean, who better to ask than you? Well, Coach, I, I'll be honest with you. I really had to adjust big time going from girls to boys. Uh, the two things that probably sets out more than anything about coaching boys, especially, you know, adjusting from the girls to the boys game is is the speed. 
the speed of the game, the, the strength. You know, in the girls, there's so many things you can do in a girls game that you really can't do in a boys game. For example, you know, one thing I had to really work on a lot was scramble defense because boys could throw it from wing to wing. You know, girls can't do that that much. And when, you know, you're trapping on one side and all of a sudden they throw it to the other side and, and now you got to relocate and scramble out, you know, th- th- those are some big adjustments I had to make as a boys coach. I'm like, wow, the speed of the game is just so fast and just so, I mean, and the guys are just so strong. So, you know, those are the two big things that, that, uh, that, that came out coaching, coaching, going from girls to coaching boys was just the speed of the game and how strong the players were and stuff because, you know, girls, you know, you could actually take all five girls at a half court and press, and it'd be hard for one girl to throw it across half court. Well, boys, you can't do that. And uh, so I had to make some adjustments. But, you know, one thing I did do when I took the boys' job is I called several boys' coaches, and I wanted, you know, and I talked to them about, you know, the adjustments that you have to make, even though I, I thought I knew, but I just wanted to, to verify and make sure that, you know, what I was going to be doing was the right thing about teaching the, th- the right things going from girls to boys. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, and that's the thing is that, you know, you once you get to girls, uh, here's what I tell about girls and boys. There's really no difference between girls and boys, you know, because we're all human beings. But, you know, when you the difference, the big difference, though, that I always saw with boys uh, compared to girls, was just the speed of the game. I but mean, Troy, Troy, you can run more sets with a girls program, can't you? Yes. Oh gosh, yeah, you can. And, and I've you, always heard that they 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 execute a, a girl, a girls basketball player understands execution better than a boy. And I don't know if I believe that or not. I think that's relative. But I've all, I mean, one of the consistent things I've heard over the years is girls execute better than boys. Do you do you believe? Yeah. That? I, I, in some in some form of sense, coach, I do. And, and here's the thing about girls, and I and I and this is just not me, but you know, I've talked to people like Coach Chris Souter, who won two state championships at Mercer County. He and I are very very close friends, and he's right. He said one thing about girls is that you know the girls want to please the coach. If the coach says go over here and stand and do ten jumping jacks, they're going to go stand and do ten jumping jacks. I mean, you know, that they're going to do what they are taught to do. And, and, you know, and the big thing is, too, is that I think sometimes, too, is that, you know, when girls don't do things right, sometimes they, they, short on, they show it on their shirt sleeve. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and it's because they really, really care. And that's yeah. the big thing about girls and, and coaching boys is, uh, is that I, as I really do believe that girls do execute better, and I think it's just because a lot of times they, you know, you don't mean it in a bad way. You know how it is sometimes when people come robotic, you know, said, well, my coach told me to do this and this is what I'm going to do. And I think it goes back to how just how girls want to please their coaches and, and make sure that they're not doing things wrong instead of, you know, uh, being re- receptive and doing things right. right. Well, let's transition again. Let's let's talk about Lake Kelly. All right. So. uh Coaches in the high school coaches everywhere need to learn about Coach Lake Kelly, um, especially coaches in Kentucky. Um, I started learning about Lake Kelly. Uh, I've met him um, probably back when I was a uh, assistant at Georgetown, and I don't. I, and, but I just always remember, you know, 
I, I spent most of my coaching career, Troy Lee, under happy. But um, I also went to school at Georgetown College, and my head coach was a fantastic basketball coach by the name of Jim Reed, who's in the NAI Hall of Fame. And Coach Reed um, coached on some uh, Olympic festival teams with Coach Beheim and Coach Coach K and um, uh, Chuck Daly. I mean, mm-hmm. Coach Reed never told people about those things, but Coach Reed knew a lot of people, could knew the game of basketball inside and out. And he always said the best defensive coach that he'd ever been around was Lake Kelly. And I know other people that have said, you know, those kind of superlatives as well. And so you, you lived with him pretty much for five years and coached with him. Um, So as we talk about him, why don't you break down his coaching career first, you know, from uh, his college playing days to, you know, where, where before he passed away, where he was coaching. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, you know, and I was Kylie, you know, I can tell more Lake Kelly stories than anybody, you know, uh, you know, you get emotional, especially when, you know, people that you love and things and what they've done for you. But, you know, when, when coach passed away, you know, actually I talked to him the night before and, uh, I was actually going to visit him the next day. You know, he was at Flemingsburg hospital and he had had complications with kidney stones. And um, they they did surgery on him, and the surgery went fine. But uh, it it's just weird, Coach. You know, Coach Wayne Breeden, who's a good friend of Coach Kelly, and you know, Coach Breeden, one of the best coaches you know in the state as well. Is you know, we talked about it quite a bit. You know, and it was just one of those things that's just you ne- you never did think about or dream of what happened. And and I remember uh, that evening or that night, uh, Miss Kelly got a phone call at one o'clock in the morning at the hospital there in Flemingsburg and, and coach actually passed away from a heart attack. So, uh, you know, and he was expecting to get out like uh, two days and, um, uh, everything just turned for the worse. It did. It's just hard. It's just hard to believe that something like that happened to coach because, uh, Joe B hall, everybody knows Joe B Joe B's one of my very close friends. When coach passed away, you know, Joe B made a comment. He said, you know, I, I he said, I looked at Lake as one of those guys that could live forever. And yeah, said, you know, how life is just so, fragile and i remember coach hall saying that to me when coach passed away well where, where did he start out i mean he, he played at kentucky didn't he truly now coach kelly played at georgia tech oh, that's uh, right that's right yeah, yeah he played he played at georgia tech uh and he played there four years he uh, now coach was he had born, a good kentucky experience tell us about that real quick when he yeah. was there at georgia tech yeah this is a true story so when coach kelly was at georgia tech uh they had christmas break and he went back to Flemingsburg to stay a couple of days with his family. So as he was getting ready to leave to Georgia Tech, he told his coach at Georgia Tech, he said, look, I'm going to go scout Kentucky because we got them coming up uh, next game after Christmas break. So the coach says, go ahead and do that. So sure enough, coach went to Memorial Coliseum. He drove a truck and uh, watched the game, took notes, uh, went back to Flemingsburg, of course, that night and stayed with his mom and dad a couple of days before he went back to Georgia Tech. So when he went back to Georgia Tech, he he showed all the notes, all the plays to the coach at Georgia Tech, and I can't. He remember. was a player at this time, remember? He, uh, right? He was a player right. at Georgia Tech. Yeah, that's right. He's a he was a player at this time at Georgia Tech. So sure enough, coach, believe it or not, Coach Kelly scouted that game against Kentucky, and they played Kentucky the next game. They played Kentucky at Memorial Coliseum, and a lot of people don't know this. Kentucky had the longest winning streak in the nation, and Georgia Tech came in there and beat Kentucky. And I remember Coach Kelly telling me this story 
because when they finished, they went into the locker room and got dressed. And he said, when they came out of the locker room, Coach, he said, this was about 45 minutes to an hour later. He said, there was people in the stands that was stunned, that was silent. He said, you felt like they, you walked into a funeral home. He said, they were just absolutely silent and did not, uh, and, 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 and they just stood there. Just couldn't believe it. Couldn't yeah. believe that Georgia Tech beat them. And I remember Coach telling me that story. Uh, Scout report done by a player who who ended up who who ended up becoming one heck of a coach. Yeah. So and, when he graduated from Georgia Tech, uh, what did he? What, what what was his next step in his coaching career? Coach, uh, when he graduated Georgia Tech, he became, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he be, he became a high school coach up in Amelia, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, and he he became an, a, a a high school coach there, and of course, coach after that. Uh, he was a grad. He was somehow was an assistant coach at Austin P for one year, and then he joined the army. He yeah. was in the army, and then after he got out of the army, coach, he went back to uh, uh, to be an assistant coach at Austin P. He was an assistant for one year, and then that coach retired, and coach became the head coach the next following year. So two years later at Austin P. He took the governors to an NC to the NCAA tournament. I remember there's a story called Rags to Riches because his first year, I believe he only won ten ball games and lost sixteen. And the second year, he he won like twenty four games and lost seven. So coach went. Coaches actually, he 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 took Austin P to three NCAA tournaments while he was at Austin P. Now, is that when Fly Williams was a player there who I think led the country in scoring that year? He, yeah, he, Fly Williams led the country in scoring. And, uh, he, he, you know, he told so many great stories about Fly Williams. Uh, one of the things, one of the things, uh, uh, he talked about Fly Williams is the time they, they traveled to Kent State University and they were in, in the Greyhound and they were getting ready to pull up to the gym. And coach noticed that he said there was like thousands and just thousands of like these letters and envelopes all over the campus. He said they were on the road. They were in the trees. They were in the grass. <laughs> He said they were everywhere. And so he got out of the – and he's like, what in the world's going on here? So he got out of the out of the Greyhound and got off the steps, and he picked one of those envelopes up, and it says, come to watch uh, the nation's leading scorer in the country, Fly Williams, as he takes on Kent State. And and he, show, he told me about that. And what happened was somebody had a helicopter, and they went across campus, and they dropped thousands of letters – all over campus just to watch Fly Williams. It's a great story. Oh, it's a great story. Now, did, did did he go to Oral Roberts from Austin P? He did. He he was there. He was there uh, two. He was there for two years, and and he had a lot of success there. And you know, a lot of people don't know. You know, Leonard Hamilton, who's the coach at Florida State, was Coach Lake Kelly's assistant, and 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 Rick Stansbury, who's the coach at Western Kentucky. So you know, Coach had a lot of great assistant coaches. Uh, that that worked with him, but he he was at o Oral Roberts, and then you know he he also became an assistant coach at Moorhead State for a while, and then his then he became his second assistant also back at Austin P. And I remember a lot of people don't know, but in 1987, coach, when they played Illinois in the first round of the NCAA tournament, Illinois was a three seed, I believe, and Austin P. was a 14. And Dick Vitale, who was on ESPN, made a comment. He says, if Austin P upsets Illinois, he said, I will stand on my head at Austin P. Well, guess what? 
Austin P beat Illinois in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So guess what Dick Dick Vitale did? So when Austin P had their banquet, Dick Vitale was the speaker, and he had to stand his stand on his head in front of everybody. In <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, and, and and a lot of people and coach a lot of people don't and a lot of people don't know that. And yeah. and and, uh, and and so Coach Coach Vitale was close friends to uh, Coach Kelly. And but you know here's the thing that a lot of people don't know about Coach Kelly. I mean, he was known throughout the country. Like, I, you know, I didn't know this till I became his assistant. But like, uh, like him and Bob Knight, him and Bob Knight and Al McGuire would do these Nike coaches clinics, and they would stay in the same hotel and 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 just talk basketball after the other. Him and Bob Huggins, and them. I tell you one one of the great stories I'll never forget. I go I go every year I go to West Virginia and watch Coach Huggs. I mean I have a cell number, he, yeah. and and he I just text him and say can I come up? He says yeah I'll, I'll go up on a weekend at Morgantown. I'll get there on a Friday evening. I'll stay till Sunday, and 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 I and I love Coach Huggs. And I'll never forget the time. This is a true story, Coach. When Coach Huggs was at Cincinnati. I was Coach Kelly's assistant, and me and Coach Graham, Robbie Graham from George Rogers Clark, and Coach Kelly went to Coach Huggins' uh, basketball clinic. Coach, we went in there, and I bet there was 100 people up in the stands. And, you know, everybody's getting ready to get started. Well, Coach Huggins comes out on the floor. He's got that little microphone in his, in his, on, his, uh, on his shirt sleeve or on his collar, and he's talking about all, you know, what they're going to do today and stuff. Well, Coach, he started talking, and all of a sudden he saw Coach Kelly. And as soon as he saw Coach Kelly – he said, I'll be dang. There's Lake Kelly. He said, guys, he said, this guy that you see in front of me, I should not be talking about defense. This guy in front of me right here, Lake Kelly, should be the one that should be talking about defense, and I should be with you all. I should be in the stands sitting down and taking notes. He said, because this guy beat my ass every year at Akron. And, I mean, and I, I mean, my, the hair of on my head and the back just stood up, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, that's just crazy. And I mean, it's just, I mean, I can tell story after story about, uh, about coach Kelly and, and, and just what he, what he meant to everybody and, and what kind of coach he was and, and, and things like you that. A lot of his uh, coaching mem- memoirs in, in your, in your possession now, don't you? Oh, I do. So what are, when, what, are, what are some of those key components that you, that there's no monetary value that you would take to, to get rid of them? What are some coach, of them? Listen, in my room, I have a big humongous room. And I have everything that Coach Kelly had. When he passed away, Miss Kelly and Brian, his son, gave me everything he had. I've got practice plans when he was at Oral Roberts. And listen to this. Coach Patino, who was at Providence. See, a lot of people don't know this, but Coach Patino and Coach Kelly were very close. So what happened was when Coach Kelly played Coach Patino in the second round of the NCAA tournament, Coach Patino beat him on the last second shot. And Austin P. And, and I remember this. Coach Kelly told me this years later that Rick Patino told him that if he had not beat Lake Kelly, that he would not be where he's at today. He said his avenue of coaching would have changed. And I'm like, wow. But coach, what Coach Patino did, he gave a bunch of stuff to Coach Kelly. And one of the things he did is gave him his press, his actual press and his handwriting. Well, guess what? I, I, I'm just being honest with you, Coach. I'm probably the only person maybe in America that has it. I have Coach Patino's press system in my in my uh, uh, apartment, and I I look at it all the time. His books and everything. So, you know, he's got Bob Knight stuff. Bob Knight had given him a lot of stuff. Al McGuire, uh, he was good friends with Dick Bennett. 
Uh, he would go visit Dick Bennett every year at Wisconsin. Dick Bennett would have Coach Kelly come to his house. He'd stay with him and his wife and his son at the time, who is at uh, University of Virginia, Coach Bennett's son. And so Coach Kelly would come and just watch practice, and he would uh, evaluate his practice. And him and Dick Bennett had the same philosophies, except Coach Kelly loved to front the post. Dick Bennett liked to play behind. And, of course, of course Coach Kelly, he denied everything, and Dick Bennett played the pack line. But, you know, and Rick Stansbury was the same way. When he was at Mississippi State, he would go down there and stay a week with him. Uh, when Leonard Hamilton – when Leonard Hamilton, before he became the coach at Florida State, a lot of people don't remember, he was the head coach at Miami Hurricanes. Yeah. He was the head coach at Miami. Well, guess what? Him and Miss Kelly, Leonard would fly Coach Kelly to Miami, and he would just be there to watch practice because yeah. they respected him so much because he he just knew everything. So, I mean, I, I have so much, I have so much stuff that Coach Kelly had collected over the years that, you know, I, I mean, Coach, I wouldn't sell it for $100,000. I mean, it's a library. It is a, it is an absolute library. Well, let's talk some X's and O's here, Troy Lee. We, we, I mean, this, this, the, the, this has been – I've enjoyed this thoroughly, the stories and the just the, if you love basketball, you're going to love this, this talk that we're having. But let's talk some X's and O's. Now, um, defensively, I, I'm, I'm front – you know, we, we all do things – Coaching wise, from a from a strategy, from a schematic standpoint, because of the environments that we've been a part of in our past. Okay, we're all products of our previous basketball experiences, if you will. And for me, that is, I had a I had a basketball life changing moment um, at um, uh, Bob Huggins Clinic at University of Cincinnati. You may have been at the same clinic, and Max Good was speaking. And Max went over his uh, – he was at the time, he was the head coach at Maine Central Institute uh, back when prep schools were, were – were, you know, that New England prep school league was was really, really good. And it was about denying all entry passes to the wing. And then once the ball gets to the wing, it, we choke reversals back across the top of the key. We don't let any middle penetration come from the wing. We force everything to the baseline short corner. Right. Uh, you know, the if penetration comes from up top, it has to go outside the elbows, and we want finishes outside the backboard frame. And to this day, as a high school coach, those are my those principles ring true every day in, in my practices. Okay, um, because up until that point, I was just always stay between your man and the ball. You know, you did shell drill, where you jump to the ball, and 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 Max was like, he was he was disrupting all of that. He was, you know, he was like, we don't help from deny. We help from help one. So if somebody on the wing dribble penetrates to the middle, we're not going to leave our deny position where we're choking reversal up top. We're going to, you know, we're exaggerating help. And the guy guarding the opposite wing, he's helping on that drive. Yeah. Yeah. Want I, you, and, I, and I like that. I we, like that. We want you to backdoor us um, because we're going to exaggerate help and you're going to have to finish over one of our help defenders. But by doing all that, we're taking you out of what you want to do. We're tu- we're turning you, instead of acting, you're now reacting. That's right. And I just I fell in love with sim- the simplicity of it. I fell in love with um, just the idea of it. Now it's really hard to coach. 
that way. And, you know, every year I feel like my teams don't really pick up in that until January. Uh, even teams that were returning everybody, it's just really hard. It's hard on the players to play that way. They've got to have confidence in the system. They got to have belief in their help side, things of that nature. But Coach Kelly was one of the pioneers of that type of half court man to man defense as well. What do you remember about just being with him every day in practice as he was teaching half court man to man defense? Mm -hmm. Well, coach, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, and here's the thing, I'll be honest with you. When I first came as assistant coach, I really didn't know anything about defense. Matter of fact, I didn't, I couldn't even spell it. Okay. I mean, I just didn't know anything about defense because, you know, young guys like me, what do you think of? Well, you think about scoring and putting the ball in the hole. Well, when I came to Fleming County, he totally changed my thought process. I mean, he totally changed my philosophy on how to coach everything because now I saw it from a different version. I saw it from a different person and in the success that he had had all those years as a coach at the college level. Uh, you know, the big thing, and I'll never forget my first year and Robbie Graham, who was an assistant coach, who's now the head women's coach at GRC. I remember we're getting ready to play in the Harrison County uh, uh, panorama. And it is after Thanksgiving and we haven't put in any offensive sense. We haven't done any secondary breaks. We haven't done nothing. And it's been all defense. And I remember that morning, that Saturday morning, I talked to Coach Kelly. I said, Coach, because I had a cup of coffee in my hand. I said, when are we going to start putting some offense in? Well, as soon as I said that, Robbie Graham was on, the, was on his knees on the floor laughing his hind end off because Robbie knew Coach Kelly because Robbie had been there a year before I got there. And I remember what Coach said. He says, Coach, we'll start putting offense in about January. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. And so, but, you know, but it worked. I mean, and, and what Coach did, he was big on guarding the basketball. He was big on denying entry passes. He just did not want you to catch it anywhere. I mean, he didn't want you to catch it on the wing. If you did catch it on the wing, you better not reverse it. And he wanted to push the offense out as far as he could away from the basket. And he wanted – and one thing I remember Coach always saying, to be a great defensive team, you got to be a great help team. Mm -hmm. He said, we have to be a great help team. And I remember, I mean, and what coach would do, he would, you know, people, when they talk about shell drill, you know, most people are going to talk about what? Two guys on the elbow, two guys on the block. Yeah. And, and coach don't do it that way. Coach, he would, there was a thing he would call screaming. And, and what it was, it was basically four on four. And he would put you through different situations and you had to guard it. Now, you know, you, and one thing he always did, and I, and I, and I do it to this day, coach, as I remember him always saying that, you know, you have to be able to guard ball screens different ways. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of, you know, teams today, what do they do? They ice the ball screen. Yeah. You know, in NBA, they call it uh, down it, blue, whatever. Uh, blue it, yeah. Well, well, guess what? Did you know that Lake Kelly did that before that stuff came out? Yeah. He would ice the ball screens on the wing back in the 90s, you know, and, and, uh, but he was just so demanding defensively at the half court because I remember coach always said, to be a great half-court defensive team, he said, first of all, you got to be a great full-court defensive team. And, uh, and, and, and that's what we did. We constantly worked on it. And Coach was one of those guys, as soon as we did shooting or as soon as we did some type of offensive work, his mind was defense. He was ready to go back into defense. And, and it's so funny. Like, we do segments of five-on-five, five, and I do it to this day. If somebody scores an easy basket, I don't think about offense. I think about defense. I'll stop the practice. You know what, sure you do too. Charlie, Bobby Knight was the, the was this way. Coach Knight was this way, where 
you know, they were a motion offensive team. You know, they didn't run a lot of, a lot of tricky sets and plays and stuff like that. Why? Because they focused so much on defense in their practices that the best way for them to practice their defense was against motion action, you know, basic cuts and, and, and screens and down screens and flare screens and pin downs and block to block screens and, and just basic, you know, pass cut away, stagger away, you know, these basic motion concepts. So that's what they, pra- that's how they got good defensively. Well, offensively, so well, let's just play this way because that's what we practice, you know. That's, exactly, exactly. So, so was Coach also, Kelly a motion coach for this pretty he, much the same reason? He was a motion coach, yeah. and, and 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 he was a he he ran a lot of five out. You know, him and Coach Huggins was really really close. Now, you know, a lot of people know known know Coach Huggins not only for his defense and his press defense, but his five out motion offense. So when Coach when Coach Huggs was at Cincinnati. Uh, Coach Hugs gave Coach Kelly his playbook and all of his breakdowns of his five out. Well, of course, I had that with me, you know, when Coach passed away. And so we did a lot of stuff out of five out. And, of course, if you've got a big out on the perimeter, you can set pick and rolls to where, you know, you get a, you know, where you can't get no help coverage, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, there's just so many situations that you can work with. But now Coach was a five out motion type offensive guy. And, uh, and, and he, and, you know, we had a guy named Josh Graham who played at BCU and we did a lot of pick and roll stuff, a lot of post stuff, uh, stuff with him out of five out. So, yeah. um, you know, and that's, and that's the way coach was offensively. He was, he was a motion type coach, but he was a defensive coach. And uh, listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this, this is a true story. And it ain't many people could say this when he was the go, when he was the boys coach at Clark County high school back in 1983, he he. They played Mason County in the in the tenth region finals at the Fieldhouse, and for you guys that knows what it's like at the tenth region finals at the Fieldhouse, there's nothing oh, like it. It was an awesome atmosphere. Best high school game I ever saw was in the regional final there one year. Yes, and so this is a true story. Coach Kelly's Clark County team held Mason County to six points at halftime. Six <laughs> points at halftime. Now let me ask you something. Well, was was Coach Feldhouse the coach at uh uh who was the coach at Mason County then? I think it was Coach Feldhouse. I'm not for sure. I think it was him. But here's my thing. How many teams hold Mason County to six points at halftime? In oh, the I mean, how many teams get held, period, to six points at halftime? That's yeah. Crazy. Uh, and, and let me tell you this one, Coach. This is this is even better. Now, you remember the coach at the Loyola Marymount? Who was that guy that would average 140 points a game? You remember that guy? Yeah, it was, he ended up coaching the Lakers. It was, Westfall. Uh, yeah, Westfall. Paul Westfall. Yeah. yeah. So, this, so when he was at Loyola Marymount, Austin P had to play them in the second round of the NCAA tournament. And listen to this. Here's one of the best compliments ever. Loyola Marymount played Austin P in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Well, Loyola Marymount, they had Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball those yeah. guys. Yeah. Well, then Austin P only got beat 12 points. And listen to this. Paul Westfall, after the game, coach, <clears throat> came to Coach Kelly at half court and shook his hand. He said, Lake, <clears throat> we've played the best teams in the country. We've been number one in the country. He said, but you're the only team that we've played all year where we actually had to come down at half court and actually set up an offense. Now, if that don't put goosebumps on you, I don't know what does. Hmm. And he was I the remember, only- I remember watching those teams play, man, and they were uh, they were so good in transition. They were so and, good. And, and, and I'm on YouTube that and see if I can find that game anywhere. 
Yes. <laughs> let's let's uh let's start wrapping this up, Troy. Let me ask you. Um, a lot of people don't realize this, um, but you travel a lot when you're not in season going to watch um, other you, – you watch a lot of the, uh, a lot of college practices. <laughs> you go to a lot of um, clinics, some NBA clinics um, all over the country. Um, just a constant learner. Um, what, are, what have you found – why do you continue to do that? Um, what do you gain from those experiences and what are some of the highlights over your coaching career uh, of just watching other colleges practice? What stands out to you? Well, I'll tell you what, here's one thing I've always said. <clears throat> if you're going to be in the profession of coaching, you always got to better your craft. You always got to get better. You always got to learn new things every single year. You know, Pat, I read a thing about Pat Riley the other day, you know, Pat Riley's been out of coaching for a while, Right. Did you know that Pat Riley, a lot of times every morning gets his cup of coffee and he turns the light on, he gets a pen and a yellow pad. And he, and he, and he, and what he does, he just does things with basketball offensively, defensively. So, you know, one thing I feel like if, you know, in our profession, I feel like, you know what, you have to be a, you, you always got to better your craft. And, and when you're better in your craft, what else are you doing is that you're helping your kids as well. And, you know, my thing is, you know, um, I heard I heard Fran Franchella. Of course, everybody knows who uh, Fran Franchella is. But I, I remember him saying uh, one time, he says, you know, do you want to be a coach who's coached one time in 10 years or do you want to be a coach who coaches 10 times in one year? Which means a lot of coaches, they'll coach one year for 10 years. In other words, they don't change. They just they stay the same. They keep running the same stuff. They don't change. They don't want to new. They don't want to learn new ideas, you know. And I'm like, wow, that hits home. And you know, because I've always said, you know, you know, and, and coaching to me, what it is that you're doing, you have to say it five thousand times a day in your practice. You do. You have to say it five thousand times a day in your practice. And you know, and there's a lot of things that I have learned over the years. But I'm going to tell you something. Now, I'm going to just tell you straight up front. I've watched Tennessee practice. I've watched. I mean, I've watched Indiana practice. I've watched Kentucky practice. I've watched Virginia. I've watched everybody. But I'm going to tell you, one of the best practices that I have ever seen, ever, to this day, is Coach John Brandon at the University of Cincinnati. He is, To me, he is one of the best young coaches in America. And what he does is absolutely awesome. I love his terminology. I love how he talks. I love how the – you know, the whole guys and the whole team knows their own language. <clears throat> you know, he's a he's a pressing type uh, coach, but his practices are so hard and so intense. And, I mean, they're there by the second. Uh, I, I, you know, and last year I bet I probably went to – honestly, I bet I went to 12 or 15 practices at Cincinnati. And every time I went, I always learned something new. Of course, this year, you know, with COVID and with the restrictions, you can't go watch anybody practice this year. Uh, he, he is a phenomenal coach. I've learned so much underneath him. I, and, I, you know, Anthony Grant at the University of Dayton, he's another great coach. I mean, of course, they had a great season this past year. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I mean, he's phenomenal. And, and I, let me tell you somebody else that has great practices. And, and, and you know, and, and, I, and this is just me, and I know everybody has a different life and stuff, but, you know, I've always feel like, you know, if you're, if you're going to – my dad always used to say, you know, if it, if this is whatever it is you're going to do, then do it 100%. Don't give it 90%. It's just like a marriage. If you give it 90, that 10% will get you divorced. You got to give it 100%. That's and 
And, and you know, Preston Spradlin and Moorhead, listen, Preston Spradlin has great practices. He, I, I love Preston, what he does. Yeah, I do too. I, I think Preston's really smart, man. I think he, uh, I think he's intelligent. He's, he's intelligent. So uh, I, I, I hope he does well because I agree with you. Oh, he, and he's <clears throat> and Preston and, and Preston, same way, you know, he learned, uh, learned so much underneath Coach Cal. And, you know, I would call and text even today. You know, if I have a question or something, I'll, I'll call and text Coach Preston or I'll call and text Coach Brandon, you know, because, you know, if there's, you know, those are types of guys that want, you know, yeah, not only are they college coaches, but you know what else they're doing? They're also helping out young people and helping out coaches like myself, who's a high school coach. And I just have so much respect for people like him and, and all the coaches and things like that. But I mean, uh, I, I just, I go everywhere and, and I just try to take as much notes as I can, uh, coaching you live, coaching you live. I, I go to Las Vegas, uh, every year, uh, and I, I go there and learn underneath some of the NBA coaches and the I'm concepts that they do. That's a good organization. I agree. It is a great, it's a great organization. Hey, so. Were you there, uh, June a few years ago where Lenny Acuff broke down his, his motion offense? Yes, I was there. I've got the notes for it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. uh, we're, we're running that this year at Ashland. Oh, yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, I, I had to prepare for that when I was at Valdosta State when he was at Alabama Huntsville. And, uh, uh, I tell you what, it's a preparing to play Alabama Huntsville was a coaching clinic in itself, just getting ready for the scout. And, um, but that, that was one of the best, uh, clinic presentations that I've ever, I've ever seen was just him breaking down his, uh, his offense and, um, just the spacing and the, the terminology. I mean, just wild out of the blue terminology, just random words for different, different actions. And, uh, yes, that was, yes. that was a really good, good session. That was at a coaching you live event. So, yeah, he, he, I've got a video of his too on coaching you live. He, he does a tremendous job. You know, I tell people all the time, if you really want to learn basketball, uh, and, and I'm serious when I say this, but, you know, to me, the Croatians, are, the Croatians are the teachers of the game. I mean, the, the coaches from Croatia, uh, you know, what they do, you know, especially if you want to talk about, you know, uh, pick and roll and, uh, and things like that. And just, I just, you know, there, there's so many great resources out there that, that you can learn. You know, I've always said, you know, two reasons why you play pick and roll. Number one is, to get in the paint. Number two is to create an advantage at the point of attack. You know, that's why you run pick and roll. And the Croatians are some of the best teachers in the game today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Troy Lee, man, it has been a, you have, you have uh, turned a, what was going to be a great Saturday anyhow into a fantastically great Saturday. Um, you know, I was going to ask you this question, but I think you and I just talk about it as we close this, uh, this, this podcast today. You know, I was going to ask you, what advice do you have for young coaches entering high school coaching? And I'm going to tell you something, Troy Lee. If they just learn to listen to the coaches that have come before them and they learn to appreciate the coaching stories of the past and they learn to um, appreciate the and you know that, you know, half the stories we all tell nowadays are about 60% true and 40% we add a little fluff to them, you know, to be a good storyteller. But they learn to appreciate the people and, and behind those stories. And um, I've always loved the stories of basketball. I mean, I could listen to Hubie Brown broadcast a game 
any day of the year because he, he's a storyteller. He is. And he is. I, I, I remember in, in Eastern Kentucky, I mean, uh, Troy Lee, picture this. And man, I'm rambling. And, and you know, when you do a podcast, one of the things is don't ramble. I'm, I'm rambling. Okay. <laughs> I, I love it, coach. In 1996, I was at Georgetown College. I was a student assistant coach. I was a junior. And we were in the uh, NAIA National Tournament. We were, I think, the third-ranked team in the country. We were the three-seed out of 32 in that tournament. And um, Coach Reed was in the hospital, and he, he ended up dying of lung cancer a few weeks later. And he couldn't make the trip. He was back in Lexington in the hospital. So Happy Osborne, our assistant, who ended up obviously becoming head coach at Georgetown, is the head coach uh, uh, of the team while we're out there. And – have, you know, we're, we're all young. I'm a student assistant, but I had a ton of responsibility. Keith Greiser, who who is now principal of Paris Elementary School and was, um, in, you know, coaching at Montgomery County a few years ago. Uh, Steve Payne was an assistant who yeah. was recently the head coach of Tennessee Tech. Now is an assistant uh, to Coach Donlin at uh, University of Missouri, Kansas City. Um, <coughs> that was our staff. We were all in our 20s. You know, I was a baby, hadn't graduated yet. Grise was newly married in his 20s, still lived on campus, you know, in a, in a dorm. Payne, I think, was single and was still in his 20s. I mean, we just – we were green and happy he'd never been a head coach. So he goes, guys, no offense, but I got I to get some people that have done this before. So we get Stan Harden and Bobby oh. Keith. Oh, man, that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> the head coach of Fairdale who won back-to-back yeah. state championships in the early 90s. Uh, and then Bobby Keith, who obviously won a state championship in 87, one of the best state championship games I've ever seen with him and Ballard. Ballard had Allen Houston at the time. Clay County had Richie Farmer. Um, and they both travel, fly out there with us. And every night while we're out there, Coach Harden would sit on one end of the hallway. Coach Keith would sit on the other end of the hallway smoking a cigarette. Yep. Uh, and they would just watch the do- the hallway, make sure guys didn't leave the rooms. All right. And they were just there to just make sure we all kept her cool. We all kept our nerves. And every night I would sit in that hallway and I would talk to those guys and just listen to their stories. And I fell in love with the game all over again every night, you know, listening to their stories. I think coaches, when they get in, when they get into coaching, they don't spend enough time seeking out those opportunities. You know, don't you think it's important for a young coach to to just to be around people that can they can just listen to and learn? Oh, definitely, coach. You know, there's this there's an old saying I've always learned, and I remember I remember Kevin Eastman one time who used to be the coach for the Celtics and Clippers assistant. I remember him saying this quote. He said, "Seek wisdom from those who came before you." And you know what? There, that's a lot of truth to that. You yeah. know, especially for young coaches today. But think about what you all did. I mean, you got Stan Harden and and Coach Keith. Yeah. I mean, and, and 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 look what you did. I mean, look what you did. Yeah, we lost the national championship game that year. Of course, we had Jermaine Brown and Shannon Hoskins on that team. So Jermaine Brown played for Coach Harden, and Shannon Hoskins played for Coach Keith. Yeah. So I mean, Absolutely. it, it just was think just how a smart. week and a half of, of of Camelot. It really was. I mean, just think how smart that was to do that. And yeah. and you know, and and I will say this. You know, if there's any advice you know, to give to young coaches, and it is, Coach, there are some things that that I would say is, no, that is true. Relish the stories from other coaches who have experienced 
you know, coaching over the years, you know, seek wisdom from them. Uh, be humble. Uh, you know, always have humility. Uh, you know, and, and don't, and I don't mean to sound bad when I say this, don't overemphasize winning. You know, my thing is, is that, yeah, you know, I know everybody wants to win, but you know what? There's a whole lot more to it than just winning. And don't, don't emphasize so much about winning and stuff. And, you know, and I think it's just really important for young coaches to, to have a, a culture, you know, you know, what do you want to be passionate about? You know, what do you, what do you want to be best in the league for? Uh, you know, those types of things and uh, your standards that you believe in and stuff like that. So, you know, I think, you know, that's some of the things that I would give to, to young, young coaches is that if you want to be the best that you can be, you got to be a constant learner. You always got to learn new ideas. I mean, think about Coach K. I read a thing about Coach K last year. Sports Illustrated about how much time he took during the off season of just learning different things. I mean, think about what uh, a matter of fact, you know, uh, Greg Popovich, you know, I'm a big pop fan coach. I'm a huge pop fan. Right. You know, a lot of, you know what a lot of NBA coaches do. And, and I know, you know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know what they do? They go and see Bill Belichick. You know, they go see, they go visit Bill Belichick. And I, well, yeah, Nick Saban. And what's so neat about Bill Belichick, he's only got one sign, only one sign in his locker room. And you know what that is? And, and, yeah, do your job. Yeah. Do your job. And just real simple, do your job. And But, you know, to be a young coach, man, you got to learn. You just got to learn from people who came before you. And that's yeah. what I do, even to this day. You know, I, you, you know, you and Coach Steve Wright, uh, you know, there's many coaches out there that, you know, I'm always constantly picking their brain. You know, I want to learn things that maybe I don't know and, you know, how I can use it to utilize it for my players. And, uh, again, do you want to be a coach who coaches one time for 10 years or do you want to be a coach who coaches 10 times for one year? And, you know, what that, that says a lot because, you know, you just got to constantly continue to grow and develop uh, as you go forward and, uh, and I, I'm with you a hundred percent, but just, you know, that's just neat that you all did that to bring, uh, Stan Harden and Bobby Keith in. And here you guys are young coaches and you're playing in a national championship, but you bring them along the way. I mean, uh, it, it was crazy. I mean, we'd be in the locker room after games and coach Keith be in there listening to happy, you know, sort of recap the game. He'd have a big Marlboro lit and smoking and smoke being on the locker room. Our players in there hacking and coughing, but yeah. um, had none of them uh, had, any, had enough courage to tell them to step outside. <laughs> I mean, is that not awesome? I mean, how could you not? How could you not love that? I mean, that that's just unheard of. I mean, that is unheard of. I mean, well, Troy League, man, it's been it's been awesome, and uh, uh, I appreciate you coming on and and being a guest. And um, you're 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 such a good person, and. The, I, I hope Bergen Independent Schools realize what they have in you. They have a, a, a true gem in high school basketball in Kentucky. And, um, you know, best of luck to you and your team. And um, please uh, tell your mother that uh, Coach Jason May thinks the world of her. And uh, she was discussed on our podcast. And uh, we're big fans of hers. So, uh, Coach, God bless you, buddy. And, and, and I just I appreciate you coming on. I really do. Coach, I can't thank you enough, man. I, I'm, 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 but I know you can't see me, but I'm telling you, I, I'm smiling from ear to ear. It's it, it just, 
you know, just for you to, to ask me to come on and, and do this podcast, it, it just, it just means so much to me. And, and, and one thing I'll say coach, and I, and, and this is one thing I'll say about young people too, that wants to coach, you know, uh, I think it's also important to read certain books. I tell you one of the best books I, I have read is, uh, Kevin Eastman's book, uh, why the best are the best. Yeah. My team's and, going through that right now. We're, yeah. we're doing virtual training. Yeah, it's, it is a great book. And the last one I'll tell you is one of the best ones. Is It's called You Win in the Locker Room First by John Gordon and Mike Smith, who used to be the former Atlanta Falcons coach. I mean, because at the end of the day, who's in charge of your locker room tells a whole lot about your team's success. Yeah. Well, buddy, have a great weekend, and uh, we appreciate you coming on the CoachMaze.com podcast. Thank you, Coach. I hope you have a blessed weekend, and, and tell your family I say hello, and you're one of my very close friends that I look up to very much, and thank you for everything. You're you're welcome. Coaches, sorry that we went long on that one, but, man, I just didn't want to end it. Uh, Troy Lee Thomas is a great friend, and what a good basketball coach, and what a great storyteller. Um, he, he truly is a gem in high school coaching in our state here in Kentucky. I think my takeaway today was exactly that. Stop and learn from coaches who have been doing this longer than you have. Listen to their stories. You're going to appreciate the game that we all coach more by doing that. And guys, one day we're going to be the ones telling the stories. So, uh, especially young coaches, man, surround yourself with, with with guys that have just a plethora of information about our great game. And, um, you know, the other takeaway I had was I need to do a better job, and especially in the preseason and postseason, of getting out uh, and go watch other practices and talk to other coaches and expand my basketball horizons. And Troy Lee does that uh, routinely every year. So hopefully you enjoyed today's uh, podcast. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the CoachMaze.com podcast, and I hope you enjoyed Troy Lee today. Again, I hope you found your coaching takeaway that will make your program better tomorrow than it was today. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit MyPodcastManager.com to get started. Thanks for listening to the CoachMaze.com podcast. 